I'm Dave Monaco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. In today's show, I am joined by Father Casey Shobe, Rector of the Episcopal Church of the Transfiguration, or the FIG. The FIG is a central figure in shaping the values that define Parish Episcopal School. After all, nearly 50 years ago now, in 1972, Parish Day School was started on the Church of the Transfiguration campus at the corner of Hillcrest and Spring Valley Roads. The school was and remains an educational mission of the parish and its community. Since that time, of course, the symbiotic relationship between the church and school has evolved. This evolution has been a dynamic one whose scope and success has few national parallels. Parish Day began as a pre-K through four model that transitioned to a pre-K through sixth grade program in the 1970s. Of course, by 2002, Parish Episcopal School emerged from the Parish Day frame with the addition of the second campus and two new divisions, the middle and upper schools. What was once a small Parish Day school of 400 or so students is now an independent school serving over 1,150 students from 75 zip codes across the Metroplex with a $30 million operating budget. Such growth and scaling could tax even the healthiest partnership. Through it all, though, church and school leaders have demonstrated foresight, adaptability, and grace. As a result, these two entities, the Church of Transfiguration and Parish Episcopal School, stand today as two vibrant institutions at once healthily independent and wonderfully interwoven. I believe our school-church partnership, to which Casey and I speak in this podcast, is a national model of best practice. Casey is a native Texan and a graduate of the University of Texas. He completed his Master's of Divinity at the Virginia Theological Seminary, preceding his return to Texas in 2014 to become rector at the FIG. Casey served at St. Peter's-by-the-Sea Episcopal Church in Narragansett, Rhode Island. Casey and his wife, Melody, who is also an Episcopal priest, are parish parents as well. Daughters Isabel and Adelaide are students in our lower school. Father Casey and I are stewards of our respective organizations, at once protectors of the shared history of our organizations and guides to their futures. The leadership story of the FIG and parish is one defined by stability. Casey is only the fourth rector of the FIG in its nearly 60-year history. Parish has had only three heads of school in nearly 50 years of its existence. So in this episode, we also explore the values that have been handed down to us as leaders of these Episcopal organizations, for these values define the culture of our respective places, values, and culture which draw people to us seeking to belong. I know you'll enjoy getting to know Father Casey's show better in this edition of the podcast. Father Casey Show, welcome to the From My Angle podcast. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be on it. <laughs> We're here on the quaint Hillcrest campus that we both love so much. So fun to be here with these littles. Indeed. I, uh, my office uh, has windows that look out over the playground. Uh, I get the joy of seeing kids outside all day long. It's really, it's really quite wonderful. Such different campuses, the two that we have, both 
wonderful and they're different sets of resources, but they just couldn't feel any different. And so it's great to be able to come here. You spend most of your time here. I love escaping to here. Indeed. <laughs> I hear uh, I hear from those faculty and administrators who spend time on both campuses that they enjoy the respite, um, the peace and tranquility of this campus quite a lot. No, no question about it. So uh, my podcast has been on uh, the theme of belonging, and we have recently been talking about place and how important a sense of place is to, to wooing those who seek to belong to a community. And that if you want to have a place that, uh, you know, illuminates what it believes in, uh, you know, you've got to articulate your values. That's really what draws people to you. So recently I had Andrew Mayfield on. She's the chair of our board. So I figured it would be uh, important and I think uh, very informative, really, for those that are in the parish community to unpack a little bit uh, our, what the rector of our founding church has to say and a little bit of our history, what makes an Episcopal church uh, an Episcopal church, what, mm-hmm. be- what beacons you send forth that mm-hmm. call people to you and how those have infused themselves into uh, the life of, of Parish Day mm-hmm. and now Parish Episcopal. But before we do that, uh, tell us how you came to the cloth. Uh, you're, you've got Texas roots, and then you yeah. left for a while uh, to go to Rhode Island and uh, came back here as rector. Congratulations. Five-year uh, anniversary here yeah. this month. Uh, yeah. It's been wonderful to have you here. So tell us how you got to your present uh, calling. Yeah. I um, grew up, like you said, in Central Texas. Um, I grew up uh, what, what we call a cradle Episcopalian. My parents... Um, were members uh, um, of an Episcopal church. I was baptized in a um, in a church in Temple, um, and grew up in that church. And uh, that church sent me to seminary. Um, my family is still uh, very much involved in that church. Went to the University of Texas. Went to law school, and it was when I was in law school that I realized that um, that I felt like God was asking me to do this this totally different thing, um, to deploy. Um, everything I had within myself um, for a, for a different purpose. Um, so I withdrew from law school. Mm. I went to seminary. Um, uh, uh, it's there that I met my wife. Um, we both graduated and were ordained. Uh, moved back to Texas um, uh, for a couple years, then to Rhode Island, like you mentioned, and then here five years ago. Do you do you remember the moment uh, when that? Uh, that call to the priesthood came? Was it a moment? Was it a series of moments? I would say it was a series of small moments that um, that sort of like uh, like like the bucket slowly accumulating drips of water finally tips. Um, uh, yes, I actually remember the moment when the bucket tipped. Um, lots of conversations, lots of subtle encouragements and actually not so subtle encouragements. Mm-hmm. Um, mentors and friends um, uh, trusted people in my life who had sort of planted lots and lots mm. of seeds, but I was literally sitting in a cubicle. Uh, I was sitting in a cubicle in this uh, uh, um, uh, legal counsel's office for a um, uh, for a state agency the first summer after my first year of law school, and I suddenly it all like the bucket tipped, and I was sitting in this cubicle and I had this moment of just raw, uh, unbridled joy wow. um, that comes from a sense of um, of awareness of uh, uh, the utter realization and um, I remember sort of standing up in this cubicle um, and looking around like like who can I talk to in this moment um, and then sitting back down and finishing my day and uh, uh, and then slowly beginning to lay the the groundwork for the process that would lead me to seminary but um, it was pretty profound that that is one of the really unique moments of joy um, that uh, that I remember. Yeah. That's really powerful. And then the then the call or sit down with your parents when you said, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm stepping away from law school. Yeah, so that phone conversation was a little awkward. 
um, they were supportive uh, because, of course, they're lifelong Christians and Episcopalians um, and supportive of me at, um, very wholeheartedly, but also a little worried. Yeah. Like, um, this is a seems like a pretty big pivot. Yeah. Um, Fad or the real thing? Yeah. Like a phase? Yeah. Or, yeah. Are, are you having difficulty sort of like fulfilling things and commitments and um, also knowing, you know, I had some loans um, to be there uh, and like, um, are you really sure? Like I, ultimately it was, are you really sure? So, yeah. Um, and uh, I, I would say time has proven that um, that God was um, in that somehow for me and that um, I really was sure. Well, listeners who've been following the bouncing ball of the podcast episodes this fall uh, will see the sync between your story and several of our recent episodes with our young people around finding their social fit uh, and their academic fit at Parish. But more apropos, uh, Ross Wainer, uh, who uh, with the World Leadership School, and I just sat down, and, and that podcast is maybe two preceding this one, uh, and he and he told a very similar story. Mm-hmm. It's instilled his passion for teaching young people as early as possible. To seek purpose and to figure out what defines their identity and where that identity that and that set of gifts that they are discerning in themselves find their their mm-hmm. place and fit, uh, because he had a 21 year old story of uh, life change and pivot, mm-hmm. and uh, fortunately found his way uh, to the work he's doing now in a fulfilled and a fulfilled life. And we're glad you did too. And yeah. Melody, your yeah. wife, who's uh, uh, as you said, a, a, an Episcopal priest and yeah. works a good shepherd and is is in ministry. You're a parent at parish, which is I think worth worth also acknowledging for those that don't know you. Uh, so tell us about the girls. Yeah. And, so uh, I have a we have ten uh, a ten and six year old daughters, uh, fourth and, and first grade daughters who are. Um, uh, flourishing completely mm-hmm. um, as individuals and as students at parish. So, so we'll and we'll get into this relationship a little bit between the church and the school. But your role as both rector of this place, but parish mm-hmm. parent, mm-hmm. is unique. Your three pre- predecessors, and there have only been three sure. in the fifty-year yeah. history of yeah. Church of Transfiguration, as there only been two heads of school pre- preceding preceding me here, uh, were not parents, and so it has uh, v- um, very much changed the uh, dimension of uh, the church-school relationship, I think, uh, almost uniformly for the positive in mm-hmm. terms of your um, accessibility, connectability to peer parents, mm-hmm. awareness of program and understanding of culture, your ability to uh, be critically constructive and insightful about that as you serve on the board of trustees as, as the rector does. So uh, it's not more a rhetorical statement of mine, yeah. but it's, it's worth telling the listeners, this isn't typical yeah. in the history of the church and the school. I uh, I. Over time, over the last five years, have come to a growing understanding of just how um, how blessed I am by those um, um, shared identities mm-hmm. and how much they inform um, one another, and how grateful I am for that. and And I would say, you know, I can't I can't offer that reality to my colleagues, to my priest um, peers, um, who also partner in their churches with um, with schools. Um, uh, as you know, it's not like you can just order up kids to be students at your partner school. Um, but it certainly has been beneficial to me never having really partnered in any of the churches I've served with a school like Parish. Um, I gained in a, a fairly instantaneous respect for and intimacy with the school that I would never have had um, were I not engaged with it as a parent. And so 
um, that that uh, brought me in contact with teachers and administrators and students in a, in um, such a lovely way that um, that cultivated my love for this school and not just my mm -hmm. sort of um, uh, um, re relationship with yeah, it. Yeah, obligatory yeah. connection yeah. to it as, yeah. as rector of the founding uh, of the founding church of the school. So let's get to some of these beacons of the Episcopal faith. I mean, these essentially undergird um, the church school relationship in many ways. So for the non-Episcopalian, perhaps even the non-Christian listener, if you were to give that uh, kind of elevator speech, yeah. of what the Episcopal church stands for in, in your viewpoint as an Episcopal church leader. Yeah. Yeah. How would you do that? Um, I think uh, you know origin stories are are important um, to understand who you are. So um, the best way to describe who and what the Episcopal Church is is um, is to sort of briefly remember um, how the church was was originated, and that is in the sort of heart of the Reformation. Um, uh, in England, um, the mother church of the Episcopal Church is the Church of England. You have a desire in the midst of this sort of volatility of the Reformation, um, uh, the, the violent volatility of the Reformation of um, warring Protestant and, and, and Roman Catholic um, uh, uh, constituencies, groups um, on the continent and in England itself. Mm -hmm. um, you have this desire by the monarch um, to hold those in tension, to hold those together. Um, and so uh, in, in the late 1540s, um, uh, you have an effort to create what is now known as the Book of Common Prayer. So Queen Elizabeth desires that the, that the realm hold together, that the Protestants and the Catholics mm -hmm. somehow have a way to worship <laughs> and pray together. And out of that is born, Thomas Kramer writes the first Book of Common Prayer in 1549. And the Book of Common Prayer is an expression of this desire, of this belief that it is possible that um, things that seem different mm -hmm. um, can actually hold together. Mm -hmm. um, and so the Book of Common Prayer is written with um, a sort of um, Catholic sensibility and Protestant sensibility blended and merged together. That then serves over time, over succeeding generations, to sort of form the core ethos of Anglicanism and eventually the birth of the Episcopal Church. So we are um, what is sometimes nicknamed the via media, the, the middle way, the, the, um, mm. the church that tries to hold together in balance and in tension um, uh, um, that which is um, understood as um, largely predominantly Protestant mm -hmm. and that which is understood as Catholic. And that's still today. Mm. So you come to an Episcopal worship service and you're going to, um, <clears throat> if you come from a, um, a Roman Catholic tradition, you're going to feel very much at home in the language and ritual. The liturgy is going to feel deeply familiar, mm -hmm. its structure. If you come from a Protestant tradition, you're going to also feel very much um, at home in parts of it in sort of the language of the prayers mm -hmm. um, and in uh, the polity of the church. So no pope, mm -hmm. um, no sort of ultimate hierarchy that leads to you know a supreme set of decision makers, um, uh, but a, a, a much wider distribution of authority and power within mm -hmm. the church among, mm -hmm. among a larger set of people. Not to mention you know things like women priests. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's the Episcopal Church has always been about mm -hmm. holding things in balance mm -hmm. um, and a belief that um, there are really very few mutually exclusive realities. And then. Each parish, in this particular case, the Church Transfiguration, uh, how how much uh, play is there uh, uh, under that umbrella of, of balance and, and unity of, of the binaries? Yeah. Like, how much variation will we find? 
you can find a fair amount of variation, and that is, I guess, some of the that <coughs> Protestantism showing up in the Episcopal Church, um, what, what you might think of as congregationalism, a sort of uniqueness to each congregation. You're going to have the similarity of the Book of Common Prayer by and large. Mm -hmm. So you're going to go from Episcopal Church to church, and you're going to probably have one of those books, those red books usually, sitting in a pew in front of you. Um, how that is lived out, how that is um, practiced, though, could look very different. Um, so Transfiguration historically has, um, has had um, uh, um, an inclination towards social justice work, um, uh, towards um, an active engagement with a contemporary society, um, what, what uh, in modern parlance would be understood to be a sort of a progressivism, mm -hmm. um, uh, and um, uh, an interest in what's happening all around us. Other churches might have um, uh, um, some more sort of traditional mindset. So you might have, I mean, we have within the Episcopal Church con the, the conservative, progressive sort of um, binary. Um, and we try to overcome that, and we do in many ways um, uh, aspire to overcome that, but you know, the church is still filled with people. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know that any church um, uh, congregation is, is, is freed from the sort of pull of a, sure. politicized, uh, a politicized world. For, for, the, for the sake of, of argument here mm -hmm. uh, and, and explication, I mean, the, the FIG, like most Episcopal communities, uh, extols inclusion, mm -hmm. extols a service or, or, or equity. Mm -hmm. um, it, it displays a radical hospitality and sense of welcome. I kind of connected that notion of inclusivity. Uh, are we missing any other keywords when you think Episcopal that uh, are sort of synonymous with no, I the think, Episcopal culture? I think those are those those strike home. I I, I think um, what the Episcopal Church tries to do is embed that <clears throat> embed those things within a sort of um, uh, ancient tradition. Mm -hmm. So not just innovation, um, inclusivity, um, uh, um, pursuit or aspiration toward a equity, just as sort of like. Um, uh, you know, modern expressions of a contemporary society, but sort of understanding that those are actually tied very much to the, the things that are most ancient about us, yeah. to bedrock scripture. But yeah, th those are all hallmarks of Episcopal identity. So when we distill down this general history, which I appreciate about uh, the Episcopal faith and some of its, uh, you know, beacon lights mm -hmm. that, uh, that shine forth, and then really move it to a more refined view of the fig, you mentioned progressive. I often tell people that ask that I think in Dallas or Texas, uh, the, the, the fig historically and present day would be seen as very progressive mm -hmm. in the national context. It's probably a mainline. Oh, it is. Right. Yeah. It's really kind of a mainline way in terms of it looks at things like uh, same-sex relationships, those elements of social inclusivity yeah. and, and uh, politi politicalization yeah. that, we've, that we've seen. So you know, when you think about the FIG's place in Dallas and its brand in Dallas mm -hmm. as sort of a destination church for those seeking mm -hmm. uh, certain social uh, elements in their, in their worship and spiritual community, what are, what are some ways that you would refine it even further? Yeah, no, I think you've you've settled on it pretty well. I mean, within a wider um, national or in our church our uh, um, context, a church landscape, we're we're pretty we're pretty mainstream. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you, you know, the 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 church at Transfiguration has um, has desired to be a haven, mm -hmm. uh, a place of um, of safety and and. Um, um, uh, um, inclusion for people who, w within bro the broader Christian landscape, have felt no longer safe or mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. um, so we wind up welcoming a, a, a lot of folks who come f 
bearing lots of wounds and lots of um, uh, histories and stories from other um, from other church traditions. Um, and those who left behind churches as children and haven't re-engaged with it for decades and now later in life are willing to re- sort of reimagine um, uh, what a religious identity might look like. Um, and Transfiguration has been that for many people for um, a couple of decades. Right. And all of this is very informing when you talk about now the shared cultures and the sort of what I would refer to as essentially symbiotic influences of the church and the school and, and to a great degree now moving into the, the history of, of this place. You know, Parish um, Day School was birthed in 1972 on this very campus here at Hillcrest by Church of Transfiguration. Uh, you know, we, you and I, have uh, essentially been handed the stewardship keys to these respective institutions. Uh, but uh, again, there's been tremendous stability that's pre-staged mm. us, and um, many of these core fundamental values uh, uh, have have uh, been handed through to us, and we continue to try to uh, carry carry them forward. So you've mentioned a few of them. Uh, what, what do you what do you think you were handed the keys to here? Are there any others besides the ones you've just enumerated in terms of being this haven, this place of radical radical hospitality? Those have been essential Mm -hmm. to me, Um, recognizing them and understanding that I I am a steward. I think that's a great, Mm -hmm. that's perfect language. I'm a steward of that identity. Um, For me, um, uh, as a a leader, um, because Transfiguration was was essentially, um, through its own sort of congregational evolution, uh, a place that decided to become a safe haven for um, uh, gay and lesbian um, persons in the Metroplex, um, a couple of decades ago. Mm-hmm. And now in recent years, as that has become much more sort of settled mm-hmm. within society, um, and now we have the sort of legalization of same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. et cetera, the church um, had to decide, were we either going to just pat ourselves on the back for having gotten that right in, our, in, a, in a sort of sense that the, the march of, mm-hmm. of, of greater societal progress came, came alongside us, um, or are we going to understand that now we have a responsibility to sort of continue to engage with the fundamental questions of um, inclusivity and equity and justice um, as sort of gospel um, mandates for other mm-hmm. groups? Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? Right. Um, rather than just sitting back and sort of patting ourselves on the back and sort of saying, yeah, we got that right, or we feel like we got that right. Rather, for us, the question, and for me as a steward, as a leader, is now where is the is the next place that the church has a responsibility to manifest those core values mm-hmm. um, and who are the people now who are hurting um, or who need um, in, in our understanding the love of God to sort of um, um, help heal them and show them the way how, how can we like reach out to them and so th- this idea of inclusion gets handed to both of us, we've had recent episodes of the podcast with members of the Inclusive Community Task Force. And so I think, again, our listeners can begin to see uh, where this history comes from. The school has not dug into this work uh, uh, with, with uh, a sense of randomness or haphazardness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've begun it relatively recently because we're still a young school and we started in 2013. But this notion of a place of inclusivity broad radical hospitality, uh, a, a sense of deep community. These are elements that were handed to us by by the church and the school. I would say one that I carried out, which you may or may not feel is, is sort of core to the DNA of, of, of the fig, is, is this sense of uh, possibility, uh, innovation, audacity. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the school started here, Mary Blair, parishioner, essentially pulled from the ranks to, uh, to, 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 uh, uh, to, to seed uh, parish day school, another parishioner, 
Gloria Snyder, my predecessor, takes over in 1980, um, expands the, uh, the the grades first from pre-K four to pre-K six, mm-hmm. then off of this campus in the uh, most audacious of moves in 2002 to, to Birth Parish Episcopal School in the uh, in in the Midway in the Midway uh, campus building, and so for me, you know this this sense of the arc of possibility, the mm-hmm. possibility of each child as a gift from God, mm-hmm. translated to the institution's arc uh, to, to broader uh, aspirations um, is another of the key components or values uh, related to inclusion that I, I, I would pick up. And, and oh, absolutely. Do. I mean, what I hear when you describe that is a sort of inner restlessness, yes. a restlessness for, um, um, for what you feel like is, um, is urgently important. And I th- I'd say that that is another place of intersection between the two institutions. Yes. And um, you talking about it even now in terms of where you're arcing absolutely. to the next communities you yeah. wish to, to, to we serve. We don't want to just be complacent yeah. just yeah. because we happen to maybe um, land right on one area. Um, we know that we, are, we must be, there's a sort of um, God-given restlessness, um, an urgency to, to find the next, um, uh, the next goal, mm-hmm. um, to find the next um, uh, place of, um, of, of service and impact. And I hear that and I see it in the life of parish. Yep. And this, this notion of grace between both communities, I think, is really important. I mean, and there's not a listener out there who, who would uh, suggest uh, anything other than that relationships are complicated. And so, um, you know, a, a nearly 50-year relationship between churches, a church and school community, both of whom are restless and aspirant mm-hmm. uh, and, and sort of of the same seed when they mm-hmm. started back in the day before this was a haven church community, a mm-hmm. destination church community, this church... And Parish Day served mostly the neighborhood yeah. that surrounds us here uh, in Northwood Hills, right? And then both communities begin to evolve and, and seek their new identities and new definitions. They grow. Uh, the school, uh, more than uh, ten t- tenfold t- mm-hmm. size uh, mm-hmm. a difference in budget and mm-hmm. all the rest from mm-hmm. its church community that founded it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the church has had to really manage the emotional realities of this little precious school that it yeah. started becoming a $30 million operation and a two campus school. And so, you know, as you think back on this kind of stories you heard or, or the things that you were told about this relationship, mm-hmm. how you've seen it managed over time, how you've seen it ebb and flow, the church and school, like what, what strikes you about that as you, as you look back on it uh, retrospectively? I marvel at it. Mm-hmm. I, um, uh, you know, <laughs> when you described how I'm the first of the four, first four rectors to have a child, I mean, and, and you know, your predecessor um, didn't have a child or Correct. a student. So here we have um, a se- sequence of rectors and um, a long-serving head of school, uh, none of whom had personal familial investment in the institution, mm-hmm. and yet somehow were able to sort of preserve a not only commitment to their own institution, but to the shared, to the partnership between the two. So I marvel mm-hmm. at that um, fundamentally. Um, uh, I, you know, I'm also just aware of just how much intentionality it takes. I mean, um, uh, uh, right now, um, there are just so few transfiguration kids. I mean, there's just a handful. Two to three percent of our pop student population. Parish Day yeah. begins yeah. as a school largely for kids of this congregation. It was this the Parish Day school, it right, is, of yeah. transfiguration. Right? And so as that evolution is happening, as it's transpiring, our predecessors and then as stewards today, our, our, our own leadership is, you know, it, there has to be extra intention 
um, uh, to uh, it not just the relationship, the partnership, and the sort of sharing of values and alignment of, of purpose. Um, it can't. It doesn't just happen because we have lots of the same people who are mm-hmm. showing up in, in, the, in our two um, campuses. It has to be um, a lot of care and intention, and and that's that's one of the major things that I give thanks for mm-hmm. is um, that we continue to sort of desire this. And that's instructive for those listening again who don't understand um, how complicated that relationship is bereft of and aside from legal realities, right? So in most Episcopal communities, the church literally Mm -hmm. owns by Mm -hmm. bylaw and Mm -hmm. article of incorporation the school. And so the rector in many instances is either the the de facto Mm -hmm. head of the school or the chair of the board is involved in the day-to-day operation of the school in some smaller Episcopal church and school communities uh, very, very much, very visibly and and, uh, very decisively. Uh, In this case, uh, you know, especially after uh, some governance work uh, um, six, seven years ago, uh, Parish is now an independent Entity mm-hmm. by bylaw and article of incorporation, uh, you are on the board of trustees as a as a as a voting member, but uh, otherwise have no uh, um, uh, sway nor obligation to the day to day operation of the school. So again, the the tether lines in some instances are the tether lines are very light uh, and and uh, very hard to you know very hard to to, to perceive, but important to tend to. <laughs> We have another podcast visitor. This is Penny Casey's dog, who's here. So have no have no fear if you're if you're wondering what we're what we're chuckling about. Yes, uh, <laughs> Penny had to come over. The celebrity dog. Yes, yeah, celebrity Parrish. podcast dog. Yeah, I um, I, in some senses, uh, the the clarity of lines, um, the distinction between the two institutions, um, in my mind, you know, inhabiting inhabiting as I as I do, has made it somehow easier. Mm-hmm. Um, the vestry and I are not are not sort of somehow, quote, burdened mm-hmm. by this relationship. We are privileged by the relationship. Um, it is not something that we sort of um, feel the weight of, we feel the gift of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, that that changes, that, that has the potential to really just fundamentally change how you look at one another. Um, uh, too many of my colleagues who have partnerships with schools um, feel burdened by it, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, and 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 it weighs on them, and I feel sad for them. And uh, my peer school heads, in some instances, feel constrained by said vestries and rectors Indeed. who uh, want to um, impose a, a, a either a philosophical education mm-hmm. uh, orientation to the school, or in other ways, intercede in hiring or other site practices. And so, you know, it is hard for you and I to articulate for folks that stand outside of Episcopal school and church leadership mm-hmm. how unique it the is. stability we inherited is. Yeah and the high function of uh, this governing structure is. When I came here in 2009, I was coming from a sectarian school and, Ro- and a Roman Catholic, ironically, mm-hmm. right? As we talk about uh, finding the common ground between both, and I could not have been more naive about the realities of Episcopal school governance. There were questions I should have asked hmm. that I was just too young and, and green behind the ears to, to, to ask, but my general sense was, my radar was, these people are in this together yeah. they may not always agree yeah. but they are incredibly mutually supportive of one another's purposes yeah. and so i just use my social emotional intelligence to say 
this is a healthy place. Mm -hmm. And that's what you and I have found and continue, as we say, to, to try to cultivate uh, to cultivate and, and steward. At the end of the day, the vestry and, and you as rector, and you and I meet a couple times mm -hmm. a month, I mean, I really think uh, I see I see you all as 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 large rudders at the at the mm -hmm. back of the at the back of the parish ship. You know, if we ever drift too too far mm -hmm. too far a sail uh, of some of the really fundamental elements of our Episcopal identity that we've spoken about today, mm -hmm. uh, that that's our that's our place of checkpoint. Yeah, right. You, uh, for example, uh, by 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 uh, Article Incorporation, we have all our chaplains have to be uh, Episcopal mm -hmm. uh, lady, uh, clergy or approved by mm -hmm. the rector. For, for example, you are instrumental and the vestry approves, you're instrumental in, in helping select and the vestry approves uh, in, in the new members of our board of trustees. So there are some ways that, uh, you know, again, at the, at the very highest level of, of direction, uh, the church uh, plays an important and valuable role for us as a, a set of windows and a set of windows and mirrors. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, I know speaking for myself at board meetings, I feel a particular responsibility to engage in in the conversations that are happening at the board level that seem to touch on issues of core value and um, and Episcopal identity. Um, so I may um, stay very quiet or not even participate or not even attend, admittedly, mm -hmm. um, uh, um, those board um, conversations and deliberations that, that are more about sort of high-level educational um, uh, philosophy, administration, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But when I see the school wrestling with or trying to engage with these identity-related issues, mm -hmm. that's where I feel like I have a responsibility to engage mm -hmm. and to try to um, insert um, uh, um, the church um, broadly, the church with a big C, into the conversation mm -hmm. um, to make sure that that's a, um, a significant factor sort of involved in that broader deliberation. Um, I, I feel like that that is one of my responsibilities, but also the privilege that I get to have is to sort of um, bring that to the table. At the strategic level, but then at the very practical level, you're frequently in chapel, um, especially here at Hillcrest with our youngest, mm -hmm. and, and bring those sets of values, many that we've talked about mm -hmm. today, to, you know, to to the storytelling that you do so gracefully with our with our young ones and members of your staff do the same, and mm -hmm. also appear at at, uh, at Midway to to do chapels there. And I think at the end of the day, and, and kind of summing up the conversation today, like the 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 element of our Episcopal identity is to to many sort of the secret sauce which lies behind the appeal mm. of parish it is what uh, brings those pilgrims to us and helps them find that sense of belonging yeah. with us right it is this it is nature of like I feel very comfortable when I come to your community. Mm -hmm. It seems joyful. Mm -hmm. It seems warm and welcoming and nurturing. Uh, it, it is inclusive. Mm -hmm. like these are these are these are elements core to our Episcopal mm -hmm. uh, foundation. That if we were not an Episcopal school, I would argue would be more diluted, less discernible, perhaps more superficial. Mm -hmm. Like I see it as key and core to the authenticity that parish projects to so many people. Uh, and so I think that's why we have to continue to celebrate and extol it. I gosh, I I'm um, so g thrilled to hear that, and I I believe that that is what the church has to offer, and I'm uh, what fills me with joy is seeing that it is possible in practice. Mm -hmm. So you know when um, when when Episcopal leaders gather together and and sort of discuss what it is that we think the church has to offer to the world, those are those are the things that we believe um, that we are uniquely able to offer. Um, and and yet glimpse so infrequently, 
And what is just so life-giving and joyful to me is to see it um, manifested in the life of an institution like Parish and bearing such fruit mm -hmm. among people who are not Episcopalians. Right. And who the goal, from my vantage point, is not to make them Episcopalians. Correct. And yet they are living in the midst of a community that is so deeply formed by that Episcopal identity that they can't help but sort of like... Um, witness to that goodness. Yes, they become they become external stewards of those very sets yeah. of values. And I know for for those uh, non Christians, denominationally denominationally different um, Christians who've listened to the podcast and, and been struck by this this notion of, of the of the conduit or center point between different faiths. I know I would welcome any of those parents to come to our daily chapel mm. to experience it there. And I'm sure you would open Absolutely. a welcome for weekend worship here at the Church of the Transfiguration. Do, do you want to um, give some details on when those times yeah. are here for weekend services, if they'd just like to come yeah. and see how the community... The best service together. to come for those who are sort of new to the Episcopal Church or new to Christianity more generally would be our Saturday service, Saturday at 5.30. We call it the table, mm. a sort of um, a, a playful way of understanding that there's room at the table mm. for all. Um, and also sort of playing with the sacramental notion of the table um, at, that is our altar as the centerpiece of our life. That service is really oriented towards people who are unfamiliar with what we do. And so we, um, we teach from it, we instruct. It's, mm. it's a little bit more relaxed and casual. Mm. Um, the, the bells and whistles, um, the sort of richness of our tradition is on display on Sunday morning, mm -hmm. and that's at 9 and 11.15. And, and we um, lean fully into the sort of high church ritual and traditions of the Episcopal Church um, and glorious music mm -hmm. um, with great big choir and, mm -hmm. um, and all of it that we can offer to sort of um, stimulate every sense um, and uh, stir up um, and use and deploy the fullness of the tradition. Yep. So, uh, you know, um, different expressions in, a, in an average weekend. Absolutely. So feel free to come and partake oh, in, in, gosh. in, in uh, either our daily chapel at school or, or, Absolutely. Your, or your weekend services. Yeah, here. no, the, the services um, is a, are a great way to glimpse. Again, the Book of Common Prayer is what we offer to the world. It's what makes us who we are. So come, mm -hmm. um, gosh, um, certainly come. So, so very welcome. Mm -hmm. And and that same um, fundamental core is, um, is at play in the daily chapel experiences of the school, even for the youngest. Yep even for the littles, um, and then working its way as a thread through the through through grade twelve. Through all the way all the way through. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank talking, you. Dave. Talking through our, our partnership great. and uh, thanks thanks for thanks for being a a great thought partner and spiritual partner as we take out carry out this work. Likewise. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In our next episode, we continue our exploration of how values define a place and bind a community. I'll be joined by Director of Enrollment Management, Caroline Doswell, and Director of Financial Aid, Julie Baldwin. Together, we three will explore the process that determines how a student and family come to belong in our community of parish in the first place, and also examine the importance of financial support in creating a culture that not only includes students and families, but enables them to experience true belonging once here. Until the next time, thanks for joining me on From My Angle.